Section 11 of Social Life in England, 1750 to 1850 by F. J. Folks Jackson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Lecture 4, Gunning's Reminiscences of Cambridge, Part 2. Henry Gunning entered Christ's College as a Sizar, a poor scholar who was at one time supposed to be fed by what was left of the meals provided by the fellows, a Christ College Sizar being the equivalent of a servitor at Oxford, though Gunning says nothing of this. As we shall see, he led anything but the life of a humble dependent whilst at the university. His college had been, and now is, among the most distinguished at Cambridge. It had produced John Milton and Ralph Cudworth, and had been a famous centre of the intellectual life of the seventeenth century. It was the college of William Paley, who was senior wrangler in 1763, and it was destined to be the school of many a famous man, among them Charles Darwin. But only three men entered with our hero in 1785. The two tutors, Mr. Parkinson and Mr. Seal, were in a sense men of mark. The former had been disappointed in failing to be elected master, and was engaged to a very beautiful young lady, whose numerous admirers made him at times uncomfortable. As Mr. Parkinson had an eighteen-mile ride to get to his lady-love, he lectured in cap and gown, but also booted and spurred, and snubbed young Gunning when he asked for explanations of difficult points in the lecture. Accordingly, his pupil gave up lectures and decided not to read at all, but at the end of the term the tutor spoke most kindly and encouragingly, as an old friend of his pupil's father. The result was that Gunning became, for a time at least, a reading man, and was much encouraged by his friend Hartley, a Yorkshireman, who showed him the solution of the difficulties which Parkinson was too impatient to explain. When Parkinson examined Gunning, he found that his progress was most satisfactory, encouraged him most kindly to persist, and when Gunning told him of a man who was reputed to read twelve hours a day in hopes of surpassing the expected senior wrangler, he remarked, If he mean to beat him, he had better devote six hours to reading and six hours to reflecting on what he has read. Seal, the other tutor, was a good teacher and a really humorous lecturer. Nothing could be pleasanter than the hour passed at his lecture, such was his kindness to all. When any ludicrous blunder occurred, he joined in the laugh as heartily as any of us. Seal seems to have been a very able scholar, but somewhat quarrelsome. He became chaplain to the Archbishop of Canterbury, but had to resign because he quarrelled with the butler about the wine supplied at the chaplain's table. However, Gunning had nothing to complain of in regard to the education he got from his college. He was not always a close student, and both his diversions and his friends are more interesting in illustrating his times than are his tutors or his reading. May I for a moment digress and explain the constitution of the university? Except for a very few professors and the officials, vice-chancellor, proctors, taxers, and moderators, etc., the university was practically non-existent. The colleges did virtually all the teaching and were self-contained bodies. A man got little or no instruction outside his own college. The university examined him and gave him his degree. That was all. The real rulers of the university were the masters of the colleges. 
most of them were highly placed ecclesiastics and consequently had frequently to be absent from cambridge but as the heads might marry and fellows had to resign their position on taking a wife they constituted a permanent element and became all-powerful i myself have often heard stories of the time when the master of a college and his family belonged to an aristocracy to which no ordinary master of arts could hope to be admitted and you may be sure the ladies who reigned in the lodges were very careful to keep the wives and daughters of such married graduates as happened to live in the town at their proper distance gunning will have plenty to say about them the fellows of the colleges were for the most part non-resident only the tutors and a few old men resided with any permanence in the colleges with a few exceptions the fellows who stayed in cambridge were either very young men or very strange old bachelors who seldom left the town what instruction was given was given by the college tutors and most of the fellows who lived in cambridge served as curates to the different village churches some were almost entirely idle men and one who shall be nameless found them no little mischief to do the fellows dined at the high table to which the nobility were also admitted noblemen that is peers the eldest sons of peers and men who could prove royal descent had till comparatively recently the right of proceeding to the degree of m a after two years of residence without taking any examination or the degree of b a in gunning's early days peers wore on state occasions a magnificent academical dress varying in colour according to taste then came the fellow commoners men of wealth who paid far higher fees than the ordinary students and dined with the fellows these were also distinguished by the magnificence of their academic attire it is difficult to imagine a much worse system of education the nobility and fellow commoners were kept apart from the ordinary men often grossly flattered by the fellows and even by the masters of the colleges work was not expected of them and their example was often pernicious alike to the students and to the younger fellows the majority of the young men were classed as scholars who with the fellows formed what is called the society of the colleges pensioners and sizers or servitors almost all were intending to take holy orders a few however became barristers or medical practitioners the university was very small in seventeen forty eight there were only fifteen hundred on the books of the colleges this includes non-residents who were almost certainly in the majority in eighteen o one the total of residents in the university including i suppose the servants who slept in the college was eight hundred and three gunning certainly kept good company and this is how he enjoyed himself he was a keen sportsman and cambridge afforded excellent opportunity for him to indulge his taste the fenlands were not preserved and abounded with waterfowl young lads and boys were always ready to carry the game and to provide poles to leap the fen ditches the fishing was excellent and so both summer and winter could be fully occupied by the sportsmen we hear nothing of any games or athletics from gunning everybody rode but there was apparently no hunting here is a riding story told by mr gunning dr watson bishop of Llandaff, was remarkable for holding many posts simultaneously and of impartially neglecting the duties of all yet he possessed undoubted gifts 
and his was the only criticism of gibbon's famous chapters about the rise of christianity which the historian deemed worthy of his attention he took a high degree in seventeen fifty nine and five years later became professor of chemistry for two years he held the chairs of chemistry and divinity together and for thirty-two years he was bishop of Klandaf and regius professor of divinity in cambridge discharging the duties of both offices from his house in the lake district in the north of england apropos of this house in westmoreland gunning tells a good story the proprietor of the cock inn out of compliment to dr watson changed the name of his hostelry to the bishop's head and painted his lordship on the signboard the ostler who had saved money built a rival hotel which he called the cock thereupon the landlord of the bishop's head finding custom leaving him put an inscription under the portrait this is the old cock dr watson's deputy professor was dr kipling who was very unpopular from the way in which he held aloof from the undergraduates so the young men resolved to have their revenge dr kipling's principal recreation to quote our author was a daily ride to the hills which at that time was the most frequented road among the members of the university returning one day he picked up an ostrich feather which he saw drop from the hat of a lady who was proceeding very slowly about fifty yards in advance on overtaking her he presented the feather accompanied by an expression relative to the good fortune in being able to restore it the lady thanked him for his kindness and expressing her annoyance that her servant was not in attendance said she had just left general Ladines. the doctor begged her not to be uneasy as he should have much pleasure in attending her until her servant appeared they had not proceeded far before they began to meet parties of young men who were going out for their morning's ride from the significant glances that were exchanged between the parties dr kipling could not fail to discover he had got into bad company that he might rid himself of his new acquaintance he clapped spurs to his horse which had been selected with his well-known yorkshire discernment the lady was well mounted and applying her whip briskly kept up with the doctor thus they rode together through the town and the story was long related in the university the lady's name was jemima watson no relation to the bishop and professor of that name you will i think see that mr gunning had a keen eye for character and no little malice and i propose to deal with some of the strange personalities of the time depicted by him on taking a very good degree our author might reasonably have looked for a fellowship but this was not possible because his county was already in possession of one i may explain that it was the law that at a small college like christ's the fellows should be selected that no two persons born in the same county should be on the list together this was intended to protect a college from being monopolized by a single county by the fellows choosing their friends but at this time the office of esquire Bettle was vacant and gunning was elected to it the vice-chancellor at this time was attended on all ceremonial occasions by three esquire Bettles and also by yeoman Bettles. the former officers still exist but their number has been reduced to two gunning's colleagues were mr william matthew senior fellow and bursar of jesus college 
and the famous Mr. Beverly of Gunning's own college. Matthew, an excellent man, gave his friend the following description of the duties of his office. They were first carving at the vice-chancellor's table, and in this Beverly was unrivaled, and always kept the best slices for himself. Second only to the art of carving was the practice of punctuality, which was thus defined. The statutes of the university enjoined the respondent to dispute from the first to the third hour. The authorities considered the statutes to be complied with, provided the disputant is in the box before the clock strikes two, and does not leave until after it has struck three. There are other points of practice which are soon learned. As, says Gunning, most of them were founded on a violation of the statutes, I inserted them in a memorandum book. The senior Esquire Bettle was Mr. Beverly, a most remarkable man. Gunning hated him with all his heart, and introduces him in these words. If his own account of himself is to be believed, and perhaps in this instance his word may be taken, he was the most profligate man in the university. He obtained his office by the influence of the famous Lord Sandwich, the friend and betrayer of Wilkes, immortalized as Jemmy Twitcher. Beverly had a large family, borrowed from everybody, and cheated all he could. Lord Sandwich entertained magnificently at Hinchinbroke Castle, about fourteen miles from Cambridge, and Beverly was not above procuring invitations for members of the university who paid him. He must have had many attractive qualities and was a good musician. People were always trying to get him out of debt, especially Mr. Basil Montague, a son of Lord Sandwich. Montague collected money to free him from his pressing liabilities, and then invited Beverly to tea and read him a long lecture on his extravagance. Poor Beverly departed in tears, not having been told what his benefactor intended to do. Montague felt that he had been too severe and feared that Beverly might give way to despair and even kill himself. But instead of finding the prodigal a corpse, he heard sounds of music, if not of dancing, and found his volatile friend seated at his table with a bowl of punch and several boon companions. After this exhibition, Montague troubled himself no further about Beverly's debts. End of section 11